Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I am Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. We thank you so much for listening in to The Sword and the Trowel. Um, this is episode 43, man. 43. We're not quite as old as you yet. <laughs> Never will be. But you got to work hard <laughs> to get that old. Or just avoid the bullets. <laughs> do Neo. Do Neo oh, stuff. yes. There's, yeah. Do some dodgeball. Um, uh, we want to tell you about the FAM, the Founders Alliance members. If you're not a part of the FAM, we would love for you to be a part of the FAM. Go to founders.org, click on give. You can check out what it means to support us and join us on a monthly uh, subscription. You get all kinds of information. You get all kinds of extra teaching, mm-hmm. some teaching from you right yeah, now in teaching the armory. through the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy, and uh, we're going to be putting other things up there. We've got some Bible studies from Tom Nettles coming uh, eventually, and uh, we're just going to load it up with lots of good material. Yeah. It, Along with that, we have the Founders Study Center, which is something that's been going on on for a really long time. There's a number of classes that are offered online. You can go on there at seminary level theological education. Um, we have a variety of classes, including you teach a class on biblical preaching that you can take. It's coming up this fall, pastoral theology, as well as another class that you taught. We have Dr. Timothy George teaches theology of the reformers. Uh, I teach a few classes on there. Dr. Tom what, what Nettles. Uh, Christian leadership, Christian maturity, uh, missions. And uh, how would you like to study the Puritans with J.I. Packer? Man, that would be good. You can do all that. Of that all of that Founders. is on our Founders Study Center. Registration opens very soon, July 19th. So go on founders.org, check out the Study Center, and uh, when registration opens, jump in there. You know, another thing we don't talk about very often on here, but people can also help us and support us by sharing this program. You know, click like or retweet or all those things. Go to the iTunes and give us a review. Um, those type of things help as well. That's right. Share it around. Uh, so here in the first segment, we want to talk about Tom uh, Tom Rainer podcast that yeah, recently Rainer happened. Rainer right? Own Leadership. Uh, this is a, a, a blog and a, a podcast that Tom Rainer, formerly the head of Lifeway, who has done a lot of wonderful things in Southern Baptist world and beyond that. He, he's a... Uh, uh, a guy who mines data really well. So he understands polls and he takes polls and he tries to assess things the way they are, kind of bringing a, the best of sociological understanding to what's going on in Christian mm-hmm. life and churches today. So he and Jonathan Howe have this podcast called Rainer on Leadership, and they tackle a lot of things. And I, I listen to it uh, periodically, and I always read the bullet points whenever they get emailed to me because it's usually uh, uh, helpful information. Well, they did one recently. Uh, Uh, on podcast episode number 547. Uh, Doesn't that make us feel like newbies? Oh, man. (laughs) They know what they're doing. Yeah. They took up the question of Sunday night worship services. Okay. Updates on Sunday evening services. And in there, they, again, are just kind of assessing the way things are. And they say that Sunday evening worship services continue to decline, which they've been doing, I guess, now for decades or so. Mm -hmm. And they offer their own commentary as to why that is. And uh, they are not in favor of Sunday evening worship services. And they make a lot of statements in there that uh, display, I think, a real difference between approaches to how we think about the Christian life and how we think about church. And I'm not accusing these brothers of being anything but brothers. They are brothers, but they're brothers with differences from us because we we have a pretty rigorous approach to the Lord's Day 
uh, thinking about the benefits of the Lord's Day, the fact God's commanded us to observe one day in seven as a time of rest and anticipation of our eternal rest in Jesus. We'll talk more about that even in the book that we got coming up in the next segment. But what Tom and Jonathan say is that this trying to have an evening worship service is basically holding on to the past. It's based on traditionalism at best, and it has very little to do with theology, and it shouldn't be done. So, for example, this is one uh, clip. Jonathan kind of teases Tom about uh, being the fellow known as hating Sunday night worship services. And so this is what Tom says in response. Services and has yelled about that. I'm really sorry that I'm the negative naysayer. Uh, about Sunday nights. I'm really very calm and rational <laughs> about it. And I can't understand one bit why somebody would go to a worship service on Sunday morning and then turn around, maybe get a little bit of nap in and then drag the kids off who need to go to school the next day. And they don't, they're screaming and crying and they don't want to go. And it's all this culturally irrelevant stuff just because it's the way that we've always done it. But why would you say, Jonathan, that I'm negative for that? <laughs> because legalism. Yeah, listen to this. <laughs> I'm going to get mad, nasty cards and letters for that. I'm sorry. But that, that's the that's the driving factor in a lot of church Sunday evening services is legalism. It's not to come back and celebrate or to come back and for discipleship things. It's it's the legalism of we've always done this way. We've always done it this way before. Maybe mm. a little bit softer would be traditionalism. Yeah. Oh, so you legalist, I, you did I'm you go not, to church last night? Uh, I did. You did. I did. Did you drag your kids out to um, church last night? We Sunday did. Night? We did, and I didn't get that nap. I had a <laughs> cup of coffee and watched a sermon. But often I do catch a nap. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm in a position to speak to why Christians across America go to church on Sunday night. I don't know that I can get into whether it's, whether it's really legalism or whether it's, you know, they've always done it this way mm. or they love Jesus or anything like that. I can't get into the, the reason, but I, one of the things that pops out hearing that little clip is that if you say, well, you're just doing this for the sake of tradition, it could be that your tradition's good. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for it. <laughs> right. And, and so I don't want to equate tradition with legalism. Yeah. Right. And that seems to be one of the things that he mentioned. It's all this culturally, culturally irrelevant stuff. Well, it doesn't have to be. And I, I've been around folks that are quick to pull that trigger. Well, this is traditional. And if it's, if it's traditional, then it's legalistic. Mm -hmm. If it's traditional, then it's not helpful. Well, what if your tradition is actually based on scripture? What if there's, yeah. what if we say, Hey, this is an appropriate way to remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. Right. Yeah. And I, the idea that uh, this is based simply on something other than theology later on in the podcast, they make the claim that uh, newer churches don't have Sunday night services and newer churches tend to be much more theologically oriented uh -huh. than older churches because older churches are stuck in traditionalism, legalism type of ways of thinking. But I think there's a whole bunch of bad stuff baked in to that way of thinking. And again, I, I'm not, you know, I like Tom Rayner and Jonathan Howell very well, but there was a time when uh, worship together with God's people was highly valued by God's people. And you think about revival, what happens in all the accounts of revival that we have throughout history? What happens when God's spirit comes in powerful ways? Do people complain about having to drag their kids out to another service? 
I mean, they don't. You know, they're delighted to be there. People travel for miles. And the old days when they were traveling by covered wagons, you know, they, they traveled long distances and camp out. That's where camp meetings came from because they wanted to hear the word of God. They wanted to be with God's people. And th- this idea that, oh, man, we've done that. We kind of it's, it's, it's almost as if worship is something you check off that you do. And later in this podcast, they talk about, you can do this at any time. You do it Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. You can do a Sunday night service. If it's the same thing as Sunday morning to give an alternative to those who prefer to go Sunday nights rather than Sunday morning, because their schedules are such. And I, it just seems consumeristic to me. It seems like a caving in to the culture and that we have just lost what many of our forefathers understood far clearer than we do about the value of being with God's people around God's word. Now, that doesn't mean you you got to have a Sunday night service, but it does mean that we ought to be thinking about these ideas that suggest, no, it's not convenient, so we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what I think is baked into a lot of the, the way this is, is being assessed. The analysis is interesting. I, I'm sure there would be agreement on that. Like, I bet there is a decline in oh, Sunday yeah. morning attendance. Yeah. And so the, if that's true, well, the first question is, okay, what's going on with this? There's a decline in church membership in general. There's Some a decline other, other in, in um, morality. Yeah. So, so, okay, if this is the case, what then do we do? And I mean, my tendency would be let's move in the direction of continuing to rejoice and gather together and worship and certainly don't do this out of just some, uh, just pure traditionalism or even legalism, mm-hmm. but why gathering together seems like a good thing. And again, I'm not going to be way down on somebody that says, look, we're not going to do it. That's not what I'm, but it's weird to be down on people that would do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, one, you got the doctrine of the Sabbath, which has eroded and I'm sure is associated mm-hmm. with why there is a decline in Sunday evening right. worship. It is the Lord's day. It's one day set apart uh, to remember and to keep holy. I'm not saying that you have to gather on Sunday evening as, as a corporate body um, in order to remember the Sabbath day at all. But those who would want to do that, saying this makes sense, preach God's word, yeah. sing God's word, pray God's word, be together with God's people. And that could be a wonderful antidote to the decline, you know? So mm-hmm. if, if the world's running in this direction, hey, let's let's display the truth. Right. That seems like a wonderful solution and seems strange that people would be down on that. Yeah, and, and Sunday morning worship attendance is also declining. So in 20 years, are we going to be talking about, well, I don't know why people still have Sunday morning worship service, just traditionalism and legalism. You know, again, that mm-hmm. type of a framework uh, sets you up for a lot of bad things. And we don't always have uh, Lord's Day evening worship services. We've, that's been our general pattern over the course of the history of the church. But we do meet in homes at times on Sunday nights, and uh, we will sometimes not have Sunday night services. And so it's not something that we think the Bible says you must meet Sunday night or you must even meet Sunday morning. But we do recognize this is the Lord's day and it is designed by God for our welfare and for us to keep holy. If these guys were here, I imagine this would quickly turn into a conversation of like cultural relevancy. So he said that it's Mm -hmm. culturally Mm -hmm. irrelevant stuff. Mm -hmm. And you've said to me many times about the Westminster Confession, like you to preach the word of God to the necessity and capacity of the hearer. And Mm -hmm. I could hear them taking that and saying, hey, we're talking about capacity. Look, the people don't have the capacity. They don't have the tradition, the spiritual maturity and strength to gather back. And so we're going to gather on on the Lord's Day. And we think you're just you're wearing out the flock and the the culture in which you live. The people are lost and they're not going to come to your Sunday evening worship service. And so it's just a waste of your energy. So 
how, how would you say you assess the, the cultural piece over against the theological piece when it comes to a Sunday night worship service? Yeah, well, the cultural uh, piece is, I'll, I'll grant them that. You know, they've done the assessments. There's no doubt about that. But the theological, biblical piece mm-hmm. is this. What does the Bible say? I mean, what, we need to start there. God tells us to set aside one day in seven and to keep it holy. And he has done this for our benefit. I mean, Jesus mm-hmm. says he's Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Sabbath wasn't made just for Jews, he says in Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made for man. Well, I'm a man. So that means the Sabbath was made for me. It's made for image bearers of God. And I need to think about that. And I want our folks to think about that, to enter into it and say, okay, God has made this for us and it's for our welfare. It's for our flourishing. And we want to do what God says. It's not, um, it's not, Hey, what's the culture suggest and let's go along with it. Or what's the culture suggesting? Let's go against it. And in terms of capacity, well, I, you look at the capacity that uh, contemporary people have for entertainment. They don't have any problem sitting for hours and watching television shows or movies or going to sporting events uh, for hours on end or giving up whole days for those types of things or going to, to Disney World or whatever. So it's not, a, it's not a matter of capacity in terms of physical ability, but it is really an indication of something going on inside that suggests the capacity that we have for those other things doesn't need to be equated to what is available for us or we should be pursuing for the welfare of our souls. Mm. You know, John Bunyan called Sunday the market day of the soul. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the store, man, you, you want to plunder. You want to take everything you need out of the store for the welfare of your family for the next week or two weeks or however long you're shopping for. Well, when you come to the Lord's day, you ought to be looking to store up benefits for your soul through all the means of grace yeah. that God's prescribed for that. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, we want to talk more about the Sabbath, and we're going to do that as we address in our next segment this book, uh, Getting the Garden Right, Adam's Work and God's Rest in Light of Christ by Richard Barcelos. This is a founder's publication, so we'll talk about this in just a minute. I want to invite you to the upcoming Southeast Regional Founders Conference in Cape Coral, Florida. It's scheduled for December the 5th through the 7th, and Grace Baptist Church will be hosting it again this year. The theme is going to be the law and the gospel, and Dr. Tom Nettles, Dr. Tom Hicks, and Dr. Jared Longshore will be joining me as we try to set forth exegetically, theologically, pastorally, and practically this vitally important subject. In generations past, it was not uncommon to find within the Protestant Reformed heritage those who recognized the significance of this theme to the degree that they would say a man was not really prepared to be a pastor if he didn't understand the relationship between law and gospel, their distinctions, and the way that they support one another. One of the things that's forgotten in our day is that the God who gave us the gospel also gave us the law. And God loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. And Jesus Christ, who came and revealed to us salvation and has given us the gospel by his life, death, and resurrection, came and magnified the law. So mark your calendars and plan to join us in sunny southwest Florida in December, the 5th through the 7th, for this Southeastern Regional Founders Conference. Registration will be forthcoming, so check check us out at founders.org for more information. 
Welcome back to this second segment of The Sword and the Trial, which we want to talk about a book that we want to commend to you. Uh, this is Getting the Garden Right by Richard Barcellus. The subtitle is Adam's Work and God's Rest in Light of Christ. Uh, Rich is the pastor of Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Palmdale, California. So he's out there on the left coast, and he's in that place where straws have been outlawed. So if you love Rich <laughs> Barcellus, you might send him a bag of straws. But... Uh, uh, do it under cloak uh, of night because uh, if he gets caught with him, he could be arrested. But we love Rich. We're glad that he's out there doing that wonderful work. Now, Jared, you and I helped edit this book, and you actually had a hand in changing the title of this book. Do you remember that? I do. I yeah. remember. You remember, you remember what he submitted it to us as? Uh, getting the Garden Wrong. Getting the Garden Wrong. So negative. Negative. Negative, negative Rich Marcellus. Negative Nancy. <laughs> You know yeah. what I'm saying? Glass is half full over here is Come what I'm on, trying Rich, to say. We're trying to help him. But th this is a, a very significant book. It's a very important book. It's a book that we do recommend highly. It's one of the most significant books that Founders Press has ever published. Because, it's high praise. It's high praise. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true because what Rich does is looks at the beginning. I mean, we, we think, oh, goodness, we're going to talk about the gospel. We start in Bethlehem. Well, no, the gospel doesn't start in Bethlehem. The gospel starts before the foundation of the world in the heart and mind of God, the eternal counsels of the triune God. But it is revealed in creation. And so if you go back to creation, if you don't get that garden right, you don't get the beginning right, you're not going to wind up with right understanding down the road. So that's kind of his thesis in the first half of the book as he uh, explains and does wonderful exegetical work showing mm -hmm. what's going on in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, he does a really good job with the covenant of works. Um, he looks at uh, Genesis, looks at prophet Isaiah, the prophet Hosea, uh, considers what is meant by the covenant of works, uh, obviously deals with Adam as a type of Christ, talks about um, Romans 3.23, what did Adam fall short of? And so he makes great uh, a great argument for the covenant of works, which guys talk about this and, you know, you want to have those arguments right at hand. Yeah. So if you're thinking, what is the covenant of works and how can I defend it biblically? And what are some of the common objections? He walks through all of that. And he also walks through the Sabbath. Yeah, that's the second part of the book. And he does this in dialogue, the whole book, in dialogue with uh, New Covenant theology and the best representatives of that perspective. And it's it's a friendly debate, but it is a rigorous debate. In fact, I think it's it's a wonderful example of polemical uh, theology. So I, the, the way that he takes the best arguments and tries to then submit them to his own scrutiny theologically and exegetically is a wonderful example. And he does show, as we were talking about in the last session, that God intends for the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments to continue to be observed today in the new covenant with the Lord's Day. And a lot of people just say, oh, well, then, you know, you got to worship on Saturday and you got to be like a Jew. Well, no, we're not Old Testament Jews. Mm -hmm. You know, we are new covenant believers and there is a new covenant way to recognize and remember what God has done for us in the eternal rest that is ours in Jesus Christ by setting aside one day in seven. And I, I think it's one of the most helpful treatments of the fourth commandment that you can find in, in a short uh, form as well. Yeah, I bet there's many, many people that um, that have a lot of our listeners have thought through this that might not have fully developed their grasp of uh, the Sabbath day. 
uh, theologically, this is going to help you there. And then, but then once you get that settled, working it out practically mm -hmm. is important too. You know, people, I remember people asking the questions to me, like, you know, Hey, can you go out to, can you go out to lunch? Can you go out and get something to eat right. on Sabbath? You know, can you watch football can on, you on Sunday? In your car? Yeah. And the first thing I want to respond to that is, well, don't let the practical application question stop you from the doctrine. Right. So the doctrine, you can come to that in scripture and say, okay, this is biblical. It's confessional. Um, okay. I get it. Now let there be wisdom in application, uh, works of necessity and works of mercy. I, at our church, we're not quick to roll up on somebody and be like, that's not a work of mercy. Stop <laughs> that right there. That's not a work of necessity. Put that down. Yeah. And there's wisdom in the New Testament about the way that we see the God, uh, the Sabbath functioning there, that we should be thinking of Christ and um, there should be plenty of, of room there. You mentioned in the last segment about uh, Bunyan saying it was the market day of the soul. So we try to do this in our family. Like It's the first day of the week mm -hmm. and we rejoice in yeah. it. They call the Sabbath a delight. And for this day, you know, think we're not going to be doing work. You've been working yourself really hard throughout the week. And here's a day to rest, mm -hmm. rest spiritually, uh, to rest physically as well. Just to say, we're going to, we're not going to do much. We're mm -hmm. going to sit around rest and kids are going to play games. They're going to do stuff that they haven't done before. Certainly we're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but we're not going to make the Sabbath a drudgery, right. you know, which I think is a lot of what Rainer was trying to get at in the yeah. last deal. But, you know, you, you can do that by gathering with God's people and singing his praise. So, yeah. And, and to just revisit that point you made, there's a difference between the principle and the application. And I want to adhere strongly to the principle. God gave us 10 commandments. He didn't give us nine. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to start jettisoning one of the commandments, then we have concerned that all of them can be jettisoned as well. But if we get clear that, no, there are 10 commandments, including the fourth commandment, that's a principle one day in seven. Then we think about the application of it. Let's be right. generous. Let's be humble. And let's be uh, willing to have differences in how we apply it. I, I don't think that, that I had a, a fellow, a new covenant theologian one time had lunch with him. And he said to me, he said, I wish you just give me a list of all the things I can't do right. on Sundays to keep me from sinning. And I said to him, well, I'll give you a list on the fourth commandment as soon as you give me a list on the 10th commandment. Yep. You know, how do you practically not covet? Well, that might vary from culture to culture and person to person. And in similar ways, we need to be generous and gracious in how people apply the fourth commandment. There, I, there's there's truths here in general revelation and how we function that there's there's something about repetition and habit. There's a cyclical nature to life, you know, wake, eat sleep, right. repeat. And when that gets going on this weekly routine with the Sabbath day, I see a lot of good things happening for our family. One of, one of the things we have started to do is on Saturday evening, we'll have a Sabbath dinner and the kids love it. Look forward to it. Here we are. We're about to celebrate. You know, we cook up something great and put some candles on the table. You can light them up and say, and everyone's being reminded, oh boy, we're entering into the Sabbath. Tomorrow we're going to have the Sabbath day. We're going to rejoice with God's people, we're going to sing, we're going to celebrate, and we're not going to be laboring like mm. we were throughout the week. It also helps your week because you get, it takes a while and you start, but you start getting the rhythm of, I really need to be working the other six days mm -hmm. of the week. Sometimes mm -hmm. it just gets all muddied up and, and we work on Sunday and we're finishing up all these things that need to be finished up because we really weren't right. like, giving it all on those other six yeah. days of the week. So let, let me ask you something. Uh, so do your kids look forward to Sunday or do they kind of dread Sunday? They look forward to Sunday. Yeah. Now, and that's because we, uh, now, now look, uh, 
they, they, they're sinners like we are. So they can like not look forward to it either, but we're trying to cultivate that this is a joyful kind of thing. Hey, this is our time of, uh, of Sabbath rest. So I don't want to, I'm not painting some kind of great ideal picture here, but it can be done. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah, I mean, if you're all grumpy and stuff and you're like, Oh, I can sleep longer. I know. I want to watch the rest of the green Bay Packers game. I can't go to church. (laughs) They're probably going to do that too. You know, I remember when our kids were little, if, if, uh, we, even had to go to another church or if they got sick or for some reason couldn't go to church. I mean, there, there was sorrow and they grieved. They would beg us. I'm not that sick. You know, dad, I couldn't sit in the back or something like that. And it is, it's a culture, it's an attitude, it's approach that I think we've lost that we need to cultivate again. Amen. Hey, well, check out getting the garden right by Richard Barcelos. One of the best books Founders Ministries has published, says Tom Askell. You can find it at founders.org. When we come back, we're going to continue our study through the commandments. We're going to be looking at the call to be humble. I think I'm going to sit that one out. (laughs) Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals, have a study center. Uh, We've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support. We've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us, and we would be delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. We've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance Membership. I invite you to become a part of the FAM with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift, we would welcome that as well. Uh, There's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. Uh, Thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel here in segment three. Uh, We like to walk through imperatives in Scripture, commands in Scripture, the law of God, uh, thinking about how then shall we live. And today we are looking at the command to be humble or to humble yourself. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 5, we hear these words, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That's kind of its own thing. I'm not focusing there. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another and for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he goes on in verse six and says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do you humble yourself, Tom? Just look in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I just tried to get to the gym recently and a lot of people looking in the mirror, but they don't look humble to me. They look like they like what they see. You know, you you just, I don't know. You you read the gospel, you, you study the gospel, you study what God did in Christ. You think about the eternal son of God, the maker of all things, the king of the universe, the one who is sovereign, the one who has need of nothing, who 
condescended to become a human being. Mm. I mean, and that's our Lord. That's our master. And then he put up with stuff throughout his whole life. I mean, you think about the how boneheaded his disciples were. These were his chosen guys. You know, these are the guys he's going to build on. And time after time, they misunderstood him, mm-hmm. and they were slow, and they got things wrong, and they 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 wouldn't stay up and pray with him. They ran away, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he was patient. He didn't give up on them. And then he submitted himself to death. I mean, how, how in the world can we, as Christians, look at the cross of Jesus Christ? Just think about what is going on there? The eternal Son of God is bearing the wrath of God for my sin, and I'm going to feel justified to look down on somebody else. Mm-hmm. There's something very incongruent going on, and I just don't think we can uh, follow Christ, look at the cross, meditate on it, and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ without pursuing humility more and more because yeah. it's the natural way of a Christian. One of the problems I've experienced in my own life, and I think it's indicative of all Christian people, is when you are in a moment where you need to be humble, you often don't know that you need to be humble. Mm. You often think that, like, I'm just, I'm just right. I'm just, what's the deal? You know, like you don't see it. The lights aren't on. And you got other people that love you and saying, you know, hey, bro, like back it down a little bit. You need to look here and you just buy just boom. And then when yeah. God turns the light on, you're like, Oh yeah. snap. Oh, that was bad. And so looking to God and seeing his holiness, his awesomeness, his glory that you just need to see, you need to behold with fresh eyes, just how great God is. And when you do, you're going to say, Oh my goodness, how could I ever, you yeah. know, what do you have that you did not receive when you yeah. get it? And you might be able to say it, but there's a difference between saying it, and then actually getting it. And I wonder also about, about some of the issues that we have with authority today, like with parents mm. and then in the church and then even with a civil magistrate that um, you just need to bend your neck sometimes. Right. And yeah. when somebody comes to you and says, just stop, you know, yeah. well, don't I have a right to speak? Well, if your authority just told you to just stop, stop, just do it. Yeah. Parents told you, kids, go to your room, go to your room. Older kids, they tell you when to be home. Just be home. Don't have a right to stay out two more minutes. Just stop. Yeah. I think there's so much about the way God structured the world, you know, that we could just and humble you know, yourself. You know what the most important verse is on this? It's Genesis 1-1. You like that. Right back to it, man. And you know, Martin Luther called marriage the school of character. Mm. And uh, certainly being married exposes pride. Having children exposes pride. And having friends in your life that you love and love you, that you invite them to speak into your life can be very helpful. Because, man, uh, as you pointed out a moment ago, the times that we need help the most with fighting pride are those times that we're often most oblivious to its manifestation in our Amen lives. To that. As with all the commandments, we want to obey them. We want to obey them by faith. And that means that we look to Christ. Uh, we have been proud many, many times, but Christ is the one who, though he had equality with God, he did not consider that equality something to be used to his own advantage, but humbled himself and become an obedient even to uh, the death of the cross. And yeah. so, boy, we can trust him and rejoice in him, the perfect one. He saves prideful people. Oh, preach that to my thirsty soul. Hey, thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel. Do check out what it means to join the fam, founders.org, and we will see you next week.